Welcome to another episode of the Limitless Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Smith. And if you have not done so, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another podcast. And if you love this podcast, you want some more tips and tricks on how to improve yourself, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel. There are a ton of instructional videos there. You can find the links down below. But before you do that, friends, before you do that, I would like to invite you in on this beautiful conversation with this very, very fucking cool guy with a really badass name. And I swear it's not a super villain name. It's more of like the heroic Italian, <laughs> not quite Italian stallion, uh, Sylvester Stallone style, but pretty darn close. But I'm very excited to have this fella on. He uh, is a teacher, I believe. And then he also runs his own uh, fitness program for men, men of bedrock, which I think is a freaking stellar name and super pumped to have him on. It is with great honor that I will introduce Adrian Del Monte. It's very dramatic. My, uh, I mean, be nice to introduce that way when I walk into my house every day to my wife and, uh, uh, kids, but, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. My name is actually my given name. If you want to do the Italian stallion is Adriano, right? Adriano Giuseppe Del Monte. My, um, my Italian roots are very strong. So thanks for having me here today. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, your roots are freaking thick, dude. So getting in right into the meat and potatoes of it, the question that I like to start my guests with is uh, is a fairly deep one, but uh, how is it that you impact the lives of the people around you? Hmm. How is it? I got to think about this. This is a deep question. I think what I'm enjoying is in my life, I suppose I've, 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 I've angled my life towards something called servant leadership and, and servant leadership. Well, I mean, I think it's, you could go biblical and look at the example that sort of comes from the Bible of, you know, one person giving up their life so other people can live. Um, if you don't like, you know, if, if faith isn't, or, or, or religion doesn't land for you, the idea of servant leadership came from, um, uh, an essay in the seventies about orienting your life towards service first. And so your question about like, how is it impacting the life of other people? I I hope that my life acts as service or is in service to other people, like starting with my family. Um, then, you know, as the circles extend into my, you know, maybe my, my neighbors, my students, the guys in our coaching group, uh, my friends, impacting life uh, by giving your life away, by your words, by your actions, I don't think there's a higher calling than that. Um, our whole program, our our online coaching company, really is trying to orient men towards serving other people. I think the model of service that I bo- mostly resonate with is, regardless of your stature in life, whether you have a lot of money, not a lot of money, uh, big house, little house, big car, small car, or, you know, skin color. Uh, uh, sexual orientation, race, all people can be great. I think MLK MLK said this, all people can be great because all people can serve. And so I I hope that impacting the other life, impacting lives of others, I hope that my service to them is just me living out like the greatest potential of my life to, to just help other people. And, and I hope that's what's happening. I think that's what's happening. Uh, I hope my kids will say that. I hope that's what they'll write on my tomb, that daddy was a servant leader. I don't know if they'll use that language, 
but that that to me is you know the whole orientation of how i live my life um yeah man hope that answers the question <laughs> uh, i think that that is a beautiful question it's an open-ended question so it's pretty open it's flexible and uh it's actually really cool that you say that. i i love uh the folks that I seem to be connecting with and attracting to this podcast are folks that really want to just have a really positive contribution to have uh, to be the stone that creates the ripples of positivity. If I were to put it as like a visual kind of uh, kind of cue, and something that I think is beautiful about that is that there is something about uh, having a sense of service that is so much more fulfilling and makes you gets you to the point where you feel so much wealthier that there is no dollar amount that could be put on it which i think is really interesting uh and in the in the being a person of service do you find that and actually on that note as well my pur- my purpose my mission statement is to or the consistent and the persistent pursuit of self betterment and to be a positive contribution to the human race so when folks are like, hey, do you think you'll ever retire? My cue for my time when, if ever, it is time to retire is if I am no longer fulfilling those two components. And something that I think is interesting when I've been chatting with folks like uh, yourself, Gavin McHale, Andrew Coast, Somerset, like a whole bunch of these other cool folks mm. is that they've really been pulled, like drawn, like a guttural intuition uh, kind of like where the solar plexus are. I'm going real, that's for myself at least, mm-hmm. but pulled towards those, uh, pulled towards that helping. Is that, was that always the case for yourself, my friend? Yeah, I, I pulled, I, I think I've always, my, my parents did an excellent job of giving us opportunities growing up to serve. Now my brothers and I grew up as competitive athletes. And so that really did consume a lot of our life. Like, you know, we were, we were, we were competitive distance runners. And so that, that became a lot of my, my core identity. Like I was a runner that, that that's really always what I felt I was. I was a runner. I was an athlete. And I think most of us have these like core identity pieces. Um, I'm a parent. I mean, it's the first question you ask if you meet a new person, Hey, what do you do? Right. First question you ask, well, I'm an accountant. I'm a lawyer. What do you do? No one ever asks like, a question of like, tell me who you are, right? That's, it's like, it's almost like weird saying it out loud at a party. And so we have these core identities for me growing up. My core identity was around my athletics. That said, my parents did an excellent job intentionally of putting us in situations where we could serve. Uh, We grew up in a faith-based home, but our faith wasn't like grounded in Sunday morning. It, It wasn't, it was grounded in, in service. And so, you know, in, in high school, uh, we, my, I went on like, you know, uh, we would, we called the missions trips, but like trips where you would have gone to, you know, a, a low income neighborhood and, and served in a soup kitchen or had like a social justice oriented, uh, experience. And my parents, cause we, we grew up middle-class for sure, maybe middle-class for sure. And so my parents wanted me to see that that wasn't normal for everybody. And so I don't know if internally I was always pulled, but my parents certainly fostered the identity. Then as I've grown and learned about myself, um, something, a tool that's been highly valuable for me in, in, in self-knowledge is a tool called the Enneagram. And my type on the Enneagram is I'm an Enneagram eight, the challenger. And, and what it means is what bothers me most in the world 
is injustice. That just bothers me, whether it be big picture of like the government ripping people off or, you know, smaller picture of like someone borrowing money and not paying me back as fast as I want. So that's just like something that I've worked through. But something that bothers me is that some people have more money than other people. And, and we don't need to get into the merits of like if hard work works or not. But I've just always been bothered by how come some people get advantages in the world that other people don't get? Like I was born with privilege. I was born with privilege in that, you know, a very simple example is I was born and I speak English in an English speaking country. That's an advantage. Like That's just an advantage that I have. Like, it's not that I couldn't learn another language, but it's an advantage that I was born with. And so when I observe or sort of like, why is why why did that person not get the same advantages I've got? I've always thought like, how could I perhaps help? How could I offer the advantages I've been given to others? And again, we could someone might listen to this and be like, you know, that's just victim mindset. Anyone can be anything they want. I don't know if that's totally true. Um, and so my orientation, either fostered by my parents or just uh, learned by or, or or like always inside of me has always oriented to me towards asking, how could I help the little guy? How could I help the guy that that maybe doesn't have the same opportunities that I was perhaps born with? How could I help? And so I don't know if that answers the question. Again, these are kind of big picture questions. I try to make it really practical on a day to day, like on the day to day. Here, here's an example that might make it practical. An advantage that I have is I can run on less sleep than my wife can. Like I can run on, I, I can probably function on uh, six hours of sleep. My wife needs seven and a half or eight. That's an advantage, right? People can debate however you want to debate that, but that's an advantage that I have. So I have an extra one to two hours in my day that my wife doesn't have. How can I take that advantage and give it to my wife? I try to start every day by emptying our dishwasher, taking out the garbage, making the kids lunches, folding laundry. These are these are things I have extra hours in my day because I've been perhaps blessed with the ability to sleep less, um, to have more capacity. And so I'm trying to then give that to my family. Um, again, I think I think when you talk about like how do you become a person of service, it's about thinking, okay, what do I have to offer the world? And then how can I give the world whatever I have to offer? And for me, that works at a big picture level of thinking about my legacy and how I'm raising my kids. It also works at a day-to-day -day level of whether I'm going to take the garbages out, empty the dishwasher, or you know, make the kids lunches. So I, I think it works on multiple levels. Hope that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely, dude. I think that was a, I think that was a really cool question. Honestly, minus minus the kiddos part, your routine is very similar to mine, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I definitely see the uh, two the yeah, that's awesome. I think that was a great answer because what what I observe and this is with, with like the idea of just beliefs that are out there, whether religious or philosophical. And one thing that I find that people get lost looking at the trees for the forest is that the thing that the common denominator, I recognize that a lot of pretty much all philosophies and all religions have the common denominator of don't be a piece of shit human being. Mm. And I think that when people are doing uh, acts of service from a place of desire rather than a place of obligation. I think that across time and space, 
like think of the Stoic philosophers, Marcus Aurelius being the most powerful man and being able to help Rome during his reign and then his kid completely messing it up. And then you look at like historical figures like Jesus and being able to contribute to the space around him as well. The thing that I think is really important to remember is that the common denominator is being a person of service. And that is the, uh, that is one of the higher points of self-actualization in my mind is when we have healed the self, we have, he- we have the ability to heal others. However, yeah. that, uh, form of healing may uh, manifest. And I think that that's, uh, that's cool, man. That's really cool. Well, that's what they're going to write. That's what they're going to say at my funeral, right? They're not going to talk about how much money I made or they're not going to, my dad likes to say, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you die, you don't get to take anything with you. You you take nothing with you. You just you just die and you go and people remember you. You know, you, you this is not an original concept to me, but my whole life will be summed up by that dash, right? The dash between 1982, the year I was born, and whatever year I die in. My whole life is summed up in a dash and I think what do I want to fill the dash with? I want to fill it with like a legacy of service to my family. And now we can break that down, what that looks like day to day. An example of that is I have to be a physically fit person. If I'm not showing up physically fit, fully energized, able to keep up with my boys, I have three young sons, highly active. So the dash is not just like, it's not like I'm sitting around all day emptying dishwashers. I do that. But then my whole life is oriented towards like this, filling this dash by bringing out the best in others, because that's what they'll remember, right? That's what they're not going to remember how much money I made. They're, they're gonna, they're not going to remember like how big the house was or how big the car was. They're not going to remember like any of that stuff. They're going to remember whether or not I gave to them things that brought the best out in them. And so I, I, I think when I think about my legacy, that's it. Like, what do I want my kids to say? If I would love for my kids at my funeral to say, "Daddy served the family well." Like that's if they said that boom life well lived that's awesome i like that you have i like how you're uh participating in life with the end in mind and i think that we find ourselves in a time where people are concerned about contemplating the end of their times and uh reflecting on their life i have this uh frame where i imagine myself as my 100 year old self And so right now, what I am doing is experiencing a memory of my 100-year-old self. So I get to be in the moment more. And that that grounds me so much because I know that my 100-year-old self is like, dude, you're doing good. Dude, you got to, you know, ease up on this one a little bit. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's a good place to be, a good place to go from. And so in, in saying that as well, something that I use as filters is what I call my four Fs of fate. And in, in order of importance, it goes fitness, finance, fellowship, and fulfillment. And those are the things that I kind of run things through. And I was wondering if you have your own sort of creed or framework that you filter things through, given that you forecast into the future so far. Yeah, I would, I would say that everything I do is orienting towards service, but I'm big on habits. I I think that having ideas is good. And the big idea is like, how do I bring out the best in my family, in my friends? Like that, that's the big idea. But then what I would ask is what habits daily do I need to do 
to bring me and simultaneously bring my family and my people to that place. And so for me, I have a few core habits that I think are are creating a kind of person that can weather all sorts of storms. Like I think frameworks really do work. You know, Muhammad Ali, I think, said, you know, you can have all the ideas in the world until you get punched in the face. Right. And I think sometimes people have like great routines or great structures and then life hits, right? Life hits and then you're in like a reactive mode or like, well, I can't live with discipline or structure now because this is happening or this is happening. And so what I'm trying to do proactively is live with habits so that I become the kind of person so that when life hits, I'm that kind of person and can weather these certain storms. So for me, uh, my framework would be all about daily habits that I stick to with, let's say, 90% compliance. Things come up. I'm not a robot, but I stick with them to a high degree of compliance. Um, and then I I live I live out those habits day to day to day to day to day to day. So, uh, uh, you know, when, again, a storm comes, um, I'm grounded in these habits, these good, solid habits. Um, and, and so that's sort of my framework, living with 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 daily habits, because that that gives me something I can really latch on to. Like, uh, you know, an example of a habit would be our cornerstone habit is start at night. Right. How do you spend the last hour of the day? Like, how do you spend the last hour of the day? Many people do spend that last hour of the day um, drinking, eating, watching Netflix or all of the above. Simul- with your phone, right? Like simultaneously. That's a lot of people uh, uh, struggle with the last hour of the day, especially if you have a really busy life because you want to just like decompress and unwind. And what I've tried to do is take back that last hour and use that last hour to set me up for a great day tomorrow. So I lay out my gym clothes. Um, my family and I watch one show of, of or one television episode together. Uh, we make our like our shakes for tomorrow morning. We read a story to the kids. We pray with them. And then we try to get into bed without like the time ticking and it becoming like 11 or 12 or one or two. So that habit grounds me in good, solid things so that I can really show up well the next day. And so I'm not maybe about a framework as much as about habits. I, I absolutely love it. I love that you uh, differentiated that as well, because oftentimes I forget that <clears throat> that. uh Habits are tangible. They're not intangible. They're not ethereal. They're not just in the mind. And if it's just like everything else, like what we're speaking on right now, the microphones, the cameras, stuff like that, it's began in the mind, but we have to manifest it. We have to build it. We have to create it. We have to implement it in order to actually see that uh, framework or that uh, vision come to fruition. Otherwise, it's just fantasizing. Yeah, it is. Really? And, and I and I would say this, show me your calendar and I'll show you your values, right? So everyone can say, here, here's a great example. Everyone can say family is the most important thing in the world, okay? Lots of people say that. Show me your calendar where family is slotted into your calendar, right? Like when is family slotted into your calendar? So here's one example people can probably relate to, like a, a, like a family night, right? A lot of people have like a family night. That's a habit. In our family, it's Friday nights. It's highly ritualized. My wife makes homemade pizza. And then we do something. You know, twice a month, we watch a movie. And then twice a month, we try to get out, like uh, go mini golfing or, or go for ice cream or something like that. So when you look at my calendar and you see family night, well, then it's consistent with family is the most important thing. Oprah said, 
if your family, uh, she has this quote, um, if your family uh, can't find one hour a week to spend together, stop saying family is the most important thing. Right now, I think that's bare minimum one hour a week. We eat together every night, right? Like we eat together. Now, depending on my son's soccer schedule, the meal might be at five o'clock or it might be at six o'clock. But again, it's in the calendar. And so we, if you want, like I can tell you family is the most important thing in the world, but it means nothing unless it's in the calendar. What's on most people's calendars is work. You know what I'm saying? Like it's work. Like it's, it's, if, even if there's not a calendar, that's typically what we fill our time with is work. Like I work from 8 a.m. to 7 or 6 p.m. What would I say is most important to you? It's making a living making money, right? Like, the, and those are important things. Your family needs to eat. I get that for sure. But if, if we're going to say family is the most important thing or fitness is the most important thing or faith is the most important thing, and it's not in your calendar, then I would say it's a wish. It's not actually something that's going to come to fruition because you're just thinking about it. You're not doing anything about it. So show me your calendar. I'll show your values. Dude, I love that. I, I've been, uh, I've really been paying attention to that as well as what is the highest priority value. Whatever someone sees as their highest priority value is what gets the most amount of time. 100%. I like, I love how I, I'm going to steal that for sure. I'm going to put it in my back pocket. I will, I will definitely uh, make sure people know who I got it from. But no, I, man, I, that's that's not an original. I mean, an original yeah, idea for me. But you know, as, as I've listened, um, coming into an online space values have to correspond with action. So you can have these values. Um, here's another example. I prioritize my health and fitness. Okay, let me see your bedtime. I don't mean it as a challenge, but like what time do you go to bed? What time do you go? You're saying health and fitness is important, but out of the last five days, four of them, you stayed up till 1 a.m. eating microwave popcorn and ice cream. Either say that relaxation or personal happiness is your value or change your evening routine. And so I think we just, and when you don't, if you don't live in that alignment, right, Kyle? Like if you, if you say my health and fitness is my most important thing to me, and then you stay up super late drinking, watching porn, whatever you're doing late at night, you start to feel like you're an imposter. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you know that your health and fitness is important to you. Like you know that deep down, you know it. And yet you're living out of alignment with your values. And then you get what's called imposter syndrome. It's a terrible, terrible feeling to live with. You just feel like you're full of shit. Like, so pardon my French. You just feel like I'm saying one thing and I'm not doing this other thing. And so I think when you can live in alignment with your values, it's, it's such a more fulfilling way to live. And it's pretty easy, right? Like if I say I value my wife, and every morning I empty the dishwasher, boom. It, it doesn't have to be this like big, huge, enormous thing. That's enough. Like this thing in my schedule, when I wake up, I come downstairs and I empty the dishwasher. I don't feel like a hypocrite saying I'm a servant leader because I did it. I can point to it in my schedule. I like that, dude. Because then you, you just have it right in front of you no matter what. And it's just yeah. eyeballing you. Habit, so is, then habit is powerful. You got to be, if people... If you, if you can build a few cornerstone habits into your life, you don't have to do all of them. And in our program, over the course of a year, we install six. Over the course of a whole year, just six habits. Um, that's, how we, that's, how we get, that's how we think they have staying power. But if you can get a couple habits that are super important, maybe for some people it's like praying before dinner. 
right? Like every night as a family, we hold hands and we pray. Maybe that's your thing because you value like connection to each other. So you hold hands, you value faith in your home. So you want to pray, you value value slowing. So you close your eyes. When you ritualize those things, even if it's this small thing, that takes 60 seconds, what I just what I just described, it can have huge monumental impact simply because you then do it again and again and again and again. That's that's what habit is. Mm, I like that. Uh, on the on the note of imposter syndrome, where where was it that you found that you seemed like the imposter the most? And then when did you decide this is it done? And you went two feet in, deep dove into the freaking <laughs> Well, that's that's a hard question, right? Because a lot yeah. of men, we work exclusively with men, but I think a lot of men can relate to these like make or break moments. So like growing up again in the church, we used to go to these events called Acquire the Fire. And so you'd go on a weekend and you'd get like huge, like you'd get like charged up and like everything's going to be different. And then apathy punched you right in the face, you know, like a few weeks later or a few days later, I would say, you know, a lot of people do this in January, January 1st, diet's going to be better. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get to bed. And then that the gym is usually empty by February. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so these, like, I don't know if I ever had like a moment where I said, it's all going to be different, but in terms of overcoming some imposter syndrome, I would point back to my habits. I'll give you an example. I've become a coach online and a huge part of what we do is fitness. And I'm in good shape. I'm I'm in good shape, but I'm not like jacked, right? I'm not like, there's there's way bigger guys than me online, way more ripped guys than me online. And so I could let that make me feel like, well, I'm giving guys coaches on, I'm coaching guys on fitness, but I'm not like perfect in my nutrition. I, I don't have perfect form in the gym. And so what I would do is point back to my habits and and my habits are, I go to the gym every day. I, uh, I work out every day that I can ground myself in an action that I can control gave me a sense of like, okay, I'm not an imposter, right? Maybe I don't have the best genetics or, you know, I'm 40. So my body's not going to do what some 20 year old fitness or a fitness guy can do. Like my body just can't do some of that stuff. But what I can do is keep grounding myself in in these things. I can act as if, I can act as if I'm a fitness coach, do the things I can do. And then, you know, like how my body ends up is how it ends up. And so the way I kind of dealt with my imposter syndrome is doing the things that I can do right? Can, can I control, let's come right back. Can I control what my kids will say at my funeral? No, I cannot. I'll be dead, right? <laughs> yeah. Can I can control, can I control how people will remember me? No, I cannot. But daily I can do, I can read to my sons every night. I can do that. I can, I can ground myself in that I'm a father who reads to my children. Will they say, daddy always invested us at the funeral? I don't know. I can't control that. But what I can control and how I can deal with my sense of imposter syndrome is doing the things I can do day in and day out. That is awesome, dude. You've been dropping so much fire this episode. I am so <laughs> stoked to go through it and clip it up. 
Like, yeah, yeah. So it was good. I'm good. just like making notes, super excited. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like uh, I like your combination of like tactical advice, your storytelling, and then uh, your own personal combination with things. That's you you uh, articulate yourself very well. You know what? It it, it has to be it has advice. to be. And, and if there's any, I don't know, like if it's realable or whatever. But if there's anything that I would try to get dads to think about, is attaching massive action, or sorry, massive significance to the smallest of actions, right? Like. Going to the gym, dads, matters. It matters. It matters. Like lifting a ninth rep rather than eight, that matters. That will make it less likely you'll become a burden to your family. Right now, something horrible could happen. Cancer is a cruel, cruel bee. Like I understand that. But staying in shape, that matters. It ma waking up early when your feet touch the ground, that you're the first one up and you can prepare the home for the family to live in, that matters, right? Whether or not you like eat this thing or those six Oreos, that matters, right? Whether or not you apologize to your wife or you hold on to your pride, that matters. And I think if you can attach massive significance to like the smallest things, it matters. Like, dude, we watched um, even the movies we choose for our kids. Did you grow up with Rudy? I'm not sure your age, but like, remember Rudy? Everyone knows, you know, Rudy, the football so. one? Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. like yeah, the underdog. Yeah. You know, like he goes to Notre Dame. It matters the movies we choose. Like you know, the kids always want to watch some. They want to watch Avengers. I love Avengers. I'm not lying, but it matters the kind of like influence and the kind of movies we choose in our home. Like the snacks we eat. Like the sports the kids get involved with. Like it all matters. And and so I would say to dads, like it matters, man. It matters whether or not you got 9,300 steps or you got the whole 10,000. Like that matters. Like those, every little thing you do, it matters. It really, really does. Um, and I think dads sometimes like, they don't think they matter. Like they're just going through the day, like the same old, same old, same old, same old. And I would say like everything you do in your day, it matters to your kids. It really, it matters to your 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 spouse. It matters to your people if you're not married or, or don't have kids. It just matters. And And I would try to attach like this podcast the words we're saying, having this conversation, it all matters. Um, anyways, <laughs> that was honestly, that was absolutely, that was awesome too. Uh, I, I completely agree with you. Like it, I reckon, I recognize that, uh, it's the smaller things that are always going to accumulate to the biggest impacts. And it's not going to ever be a shift overnight into anything because if we don't take the time to develop, then we're not going to be able to handle it at that point in time. And when we get to manage those small things, the, the very manageable things, then we are opening ourselves up to a possibility of so, so many different trajectories as to how we can like live our life. Cause I like to think that in every moment that gives us the opportunity to make a choice to change the trajectory of our future. Yeah. Yeah, if you can think of it like that, right? I like Bedros Koulian says, how we do anything is how we do everything, right? This is a great, probably an overused quote. He'll, he's got some other good ones as well, but it's this great line of like, what you do in one capacity helps you become the kind of person you are in every other capacity. And so if you if you can see yourself, I think a lot of people are like, well, the, the little things maybe don't matter as much as the big things. And I would make the opposite case, right? In a moment where there's a fire, 
in your house, 99% of dads are going to go into the house and rescue their kid, right? But how many times is there going to be a fire where you have to go into your house and save a kid? It might happen, but most of us won't have those larger than life experiences. What we will all have is daily opportunities to make a choice. Like even, even praying before dinner, again, my family is a faith family, but sometimes if I like raised my voice during the day or I was short with my sons, when it's time to pray, it's an internal battle of whether or not I'm going to still say, okay, boys, we should hold our hand. We should hold hands at the table and offer a word of gratitude. And in that moment, I could say, you know what? It's not that big a deal. We'll just skip it tonight. Like tonight, it's not that big a deal. We'll just skip it tonight. But I think my kids will know that. What I'll be teaching them in that moment is we hold hands as a family if everything went perfectly in the day. And so I think I think as 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 a as a as a person, you have to recognize on the daily level, like on the daily level, it matters. Like there's big significance in these tiny moments, and they really do matter. I've said matter a lot, haven't I? I've said matter an awful lot in this episode. <laughs> All good. I'm going to make sure I put it in the title. Maybe the title. Maybe the title. Yeah, it yeah. matters. <laughs> you know, I yeah, usually we, put like a couple things together, but yeah. I'm just going to keep it matters. Yeah. It all matters. That's it, it, it does. Yeah. It does matter because you want people to know like you're a fitness guy. Like if, if, if you are given a rep range of six to eight reps, right. And you do five reps, you know, like if the, if the workout says do five reps, then do five reps. But if the workout says six to eight and you get the five and you start that, like, well, five's good. This is, you know, I was tired last night. It, it affects you, right? It affects your sense of, you live with that imposter syndrome. But if the workout says six to eight and you do six and you drop that weight down and you're like, fuck yeah, like that's how it is, right? Like, because it, 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 it you proved something to yourself that you're a person of your word. And so even in these like little things, like going to the gym, like, Offering gratitude before dinner, uh, whether or not you, you know, apologize or not to your spouse, those things have huge impact. I got a. this is going to be kind of a sort of an off off question, but I just got, I just got a feel for this question and I'm just curious, but, uh, for, for a lot of my guests, uh, I'm getting a lot more like you got fire. Like I feel your fire. Oh, do you? Okay. And uh, not in a bad way, not in a bad yeah, way. Yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. Describe what you're feeling, thinking, your intention. Where is where is this being pulled out of? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I love movie quotes. You know, uh, I've quoted Rudy, uh, but one of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. Mm. You know that one, Shawshank? Just classic. And Morgan Freeman has that great line at the end, get busy living or get busy dying. Um, another one of my favorite quotes comes from Dead Poet Society. It's like Robin Williams's moment and he says carpe diem or, or seize the day. And then my other favorite movie quote comes from Braveheart and uh, Mel Gibson's character says, I think the line goes, every man, every man dies, but not every man lives. And, and, I, and, I, and, and those kind of messages land for me because I see a lot of, I see a lot of men. We work exclusively with men again. So I see a lot of men going through the motions. They're good dads. They're good men. Like they're solid guys. Like my wife would call them. They're good dudes. They're like nice guys. They would, they would talk about 
you know, about good, normal things. They're not like weird guys. They're like good, normal guys. And yet I feel like they're not optimized. I feel like there's more they could give. They could, they could, they could be great. They could be great men. And I think a lot of guys don't believe it. They, they believe that they're doing well enough and they are, I want it to be clear. They're, they're doing their best. I think they're doing as good as they know how to do. And I think with some encouragement or some fire, maybe they could be doing even better. I think sometimes we settle a little bit, right? We settle for good when great is there. You, you could be a great guy. And it's it's weird to even say, like, I would say I'm a great dad. And someone's going to hear that and be like, this guy's full of shit. This guy is arrogant. But if I don't have the core identity of a great dad, no way I'm going to aspire to be a great dad. It's it's like one of my high school students being ashamed to say I'm an A plus student, right? Like as if like okay that'll come across arrogant. But if they don't say I'm gonna be an I'm gonna be an A plus student, then they're never gonna get A pluses. The best they might ever do is A minuses. And so I think we ought to shoot for the stars, right? If 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 you shoot for the stars, maybe you won't hit the stars, but at least you're you're gonna get close. And so I I I the fire comes from. I see men living good, solid lives, and I think they could be even greater than that. Dude, I'm so glad I asked that question now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good question. So uh, just uh, just before we close up, going into the final two questions of the podcast, uh, is there anything that hasn't been said, or is there anything that has to be said that hasn't been said? Well, that's, that's a big question. Uh, that is a, you know, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think what we haven't talked about yet or what's worth repeating. I, I would say one thing that I have learned as we're getting older, as I'm getting older, I turned 40 and that's become a bit of a, it's a moment of reflection. I'm, I'm, I'm as fit as I've ever been. I'm as energized as I've ever been. And 40 has given me pause. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just given me some opportunity to reflect. It's a milestone. 40 is a milestone birthday. And one thing that has become increasingly clear to me as I'm getting older is the importance of having a few strong people in your corner. Um, a few very strong people in your corner. I think the days of like being popular are over. I think a lot of guys struggle with midlife because they're not like, popular like they're still almost living back in high school where you're trying to like win over the affirmation of like everybody you're trying to like win the pretty girl or you know be the best athlete on the team or get the high marks a lot of guys i think have left the high school years but still have the high school mindset and i think the way you transition out of that that mindset that's oriented towards like what can i prove to people is to surround yourself with people who truly know you and as I'm in my forties, it's a, it's a small group, man. Like it's a small group of people. It's, it's my wife. My wife knows everything about me. I trust, I trust my wife to know everything about me and not weaponize it against me. I think that's a good definition of friendship when people mm. know everything about you and they would never use it against you. You know, so a couple of years ago on my 38th, 38th birthday, my wife said, what do you want? I said, I just want a day to walk, to go on a, like a long, long hike. And me and five of my friends, these are like my best friends. These are my 
I'd call them my funeral friends, my funeral friends. They're, they're the guys who, if I died, would take in my wife and kids. You know what I'm saying? That th- those, are, those are those guys. And we walked a marathon together. <laughs> we, we got up early and we walked 42.2 kilometers. And it wasn't a huge group of guys. But at the end of it, it was like, these are my guys. Like, these are the guys who are my best friends. Not uh, one of them lives in the same city as me, but the rest of them, you know, we've scattered because of jobs and kids. And, but these are my guys. And so to answer your question, is there something that hasn't been said? I I think a lot of men often operate with that like lone wolf mentality. I'm saying like, I can do this. I can man up through this. And as I'm getting older, I realize, you know, life is going to be hard at times. And you know that quote, when the going get tough, the tough get going. Mm-hmm. What I like to say is when the going gets tough, get some good people in your corner. <laughs> that won't have staying power because it doesn't rhyme or have like a reverse sentence structure in it. But I-, I do believe that like life is going to be hard. You are going to like suffer. Everyone knows this. You are going to suffer, like whether it be a, a, like a, a physical illness or you know, my wife and I, we, we, we struggled with infertility for three years before we had our first son. Those are hard seasons of life. And what got us through it was the people around us. And so if there's something that hadn't been said, I would want to double down on like, if you're approaching midlife and you can say to yourself, I have two guys who are like my best friends. That's awesome. That's hold on, foster, invest in those relationships, call those guys, text those guys. It is 100% worth it. And the idea of like, yeah, I'm friends with everyone. I got like 20 friends. I don't know. I think that season of life is over. Um, at least for me, it feels over. And instead I'm choosing to invest in just these few relationships and I can name them. Like I can tell you their names. Like these are the guys. I like that. Yeah. Oh man. Yep. Glad I asked that question too. Nice. Mm. Now for the final two, my friend. So set in the scene, you're at the end of your days. Your dash, the other end of it has been filled or not yet, I guess, but you're on your deathbed, right? Uh, The people that you care for, those five friends are around you. What advice do you want to pass on? No content exists. This podcast doesn't exist. No, nothing exists. This is the (laughs) last thing that you get to go for. Yeah. That's a big question. That's a huge question. I'm going to make it really practical again, though, because I think practical is where guys got to be. Like, guys aren't super deep. We can be deep, but we need to know, like, okay, what do I do? So something a a guest on our podcast, his name was Jim Ramos, said to me, he said, is what you do between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. is what they're going to write on your tombstone. What you do between 6 and 9. And the reason I say that is these are the hours you know, it might be five to 10 or, but the, the point is the after work hours, those are the things that are going to matter the most. And sadly for many guys at the end of a long day of work, it's a collapse on the couch with their phone and their kids are just begging for their attention. You see it at the park. Same thing. If your kids are younger, you go to a park the kids are like at the top of the slide being daddy, daddy, look. And, and, and sadly, many dads are just like on their phones. They're like checked out of that moment. And so if I could say to someone on their deathbed or on my deathbed, be cognizant of the time you have with your kids, because that's what they're going to remember about you. Like those, 
after they're not going to talk about what you did during the workday. They're going to talk about what you did outside the workday. Nice. That's a great lesson, dude. Uh, and then the final question, the very best version of you, the greatest dad award, <laughs> the very best version of you is sitting next to you, standing next to you right now and uh, wants to impart some wisdom for this season of your life. What advice is he going to give you? Oh, put your phone down. That's that's what I'm going to say. Yeah, I think I think the phones are killing us. And and this is a whole other episode. Um, you should get the guys from the Arrow Box A R O Box on your show. They they developed this beautiful box to help create more connection. And we had them on our show. They were wonderful. But if I had to say what's what's preventing me from living limitless, <laughs> what's preventing me from living the limitless life, it's my phone feels more interesting than my actual life. You know, that's that's what I would it just feels like there's always a dopamine hit, right? There's there's maybe a another life to impact it feels like or a or a podcast to do or a or, or a buck to make or whatever and and if I were saying to myself right now this season, because my kids are going to move out, you know, sooner than I'd like and go on with their adult lives, put your phone down. That's, that's what I would say. I don't know how practical you wanted it, but that's what I would say. Put your phone down, live your life, be fully present. Well, folks, that's what I've got for you in today's episode. Where can people find you, Adrian? Yeah, so I'm pretty much exclusively on Instagram. Our handle is Men of Bedrock. Men of Bedrock, and what we do in Bedrock is we help uh, we help dads establish like cornerstone habits for their fitness, for their family, for their faith, so that they can become the bedrock that you know that, that their whole family can build a a, a legacy on. Uh, so Men of Bedrock. We also have our own podcast as well. It airs under my brother's name, Vince Del Monte. So it's the Vince Del Monte podcast show. Uh, those are the two places I hang out uh, exclusively, I guess. Sweet. Well, folks, that is what I've got for you in today's episode. And if you love today's episode, please do me a favor right now. Take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories. Tag me with my handle at Dapper Dude Kyle, along with at Men of Bedrock. That is one of the ways that we grow. And until next time, keep up the kindness. And I hope your day treats you as good as you look.